Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Wesker demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. Today we're talking a movie from 2023. The much anticipated Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Man. So how you doing Wes? How was your birthday? Pretty good. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny would have been my birthday movie for a, a traditional big summer movie. However, it opened a few days early and I certainly couldn't wait because spoilers abound. You'd have to live under a rock so as not to get spoiled. Yep. Gotta see it as soon as possible. I wasn't even willing to wait until Saturday, which is still not my birthday. I had to see it on Thursday night, which is technically before opening. It was like a sneak preview. And I had the dorks in the uh, hat and whip with the little satchel all ready to go into the IMAX theater. <laughs> July 20th, 1969. Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong land on the moon and Jim Lovell, at least portrayed by Tom Hanks in Apollo 13, 1995, says, we now live in a world where man has walked on the moon. And now you and I live in a world where Indiana Jones is a thing of the past. Like literally because he travels back in time? Ooh, spoiler. No, just it's done, man. And it is I what mean, it is. I mean, officially though? Officially, like you don't think that Shia LaBeouf or Phoebe Waller-Bridge are going to show up in a hat one day? Definitely not Shia LaBeouf. Uh, Harrison Ford, obviously, it's owned by Disney. They talked about Chris Pratt, but it's uh, Disney's thing now, and I'm sure they will remake it. Harrison Ford, however, says, and maybe this is just in, per in promotion or service of this, the last movie for him, that when he dies, when he goes, the character goes. And uh, that's fair enough, I guess. I mean, he's not Bond, right? No one else has played Indiana Jones. So that makes sense. But the Indiana Jones franchise is likely to get repeated in the Disney franchise machine. It had been suggested that James Bond was a code name and not his actual name. And obviously the 007 moniker was actually transferred to someone else in one of the last movies. But, you know, anybody could be Indiana. They named the dog Indiana. So it could be uh, anybody could take up. It could be Indiana Round, which I would welcome. Indiana what? Indiana Round. Short round. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you would think that um, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny was already baked by the time that he, he won. Did I pronounce it right? Sure. 
had his resurgence. Otherwise, they should have given him a cameo. Absolutely. He was out there. He was working. He, he's an actor. He could have shown up again. But I don't mind because, shockingly, I wouldn't even mind if it was Indiana Waller-Bridge. That's what I'm saying, and I wouldn't be surprised if there were. Now, the all of the critics and whatnot talk about Phoebe Waller-Bridge surprisingly little, but I thought that she really delivered as the intrepid goddaughter. Although I have to say, I never forgave Helena for locking Indy in the artifact cage. Like the whole movie, I was still like holding a grudge against her <laughs> and all pissed that she locked him in. That was messed up. She didn't have to do that. Yeah, but they didn't care about him. They wanted the Antikythera, and they wanted her then by association, and he couldn't stop her. And he's like, he could have jumped across because he probably could have caught her. He could have done the Kate Capshaw whip around the waist thing. I mean, they sure seemed to want him later. So why didn't she think that they might want him then? I mean, they had guns. She locked her godfather in a cage with murderous archaeologists, Nazis. I guess fair enough, but she's not a straightforward heroine, man. She has a dark past and questionable motivations. <laughs> right. Her past is literally chasing her through the streets of Morocco. Yep. Man, they needed one of those super indestructible tuk-tuks. That was like the hardiest tuk-tuk I've ever seen. <laughs> Corners like it's on rails. Yeah, man. Talk about speed ramping. So needless to say, this is not the first movie where the heroes commandeer a less than stellar performance vehicle. Yeah. Remember when Indiana Jones in your boys movie stole a tricycle with tassels? This is basically the same thing. Spoiler, that's Hollywood homicide. I was about to say, is this one the one where the girl stomps off and she's like, my bike, my bike. My bike, I want my bike. That was a different movie, but it was kind of Lilo and Stitchy ooh, like that. Ooh, ooh. I know what it was. What, what movie was, was that? My bike, my bike. Was it Goonies? Yes, yes. Yeah, it's when it's when uh, when Josh Brolin when when Brand takes the little girl's bike and rides down the hill. <laughs> you could just hear that echoing in your mind, right? Oh, Steven Spielberg, when you produce movies. Well, before we get into James Mangold, um, tell me how was your trilogy night? Trilogy? You mean quadrilogy week? Whoa, you watched Crystal Skull too? Yeah, I mean, it was necessary. You may not have, but there was some connective stuff. I think the only one the Dial of Destiny didn't directly reference was The Last Crusade, Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. But the reason that Shia Nitt didn't come back as the Mutt character was because he talked trash about that movie, and Spielberg didn't like that. And he takes people under his wing, and if they betray him, he kind of cuts him out. It left a gaping hole where that character was, which I think Phoebe Waller-Bridge fills admirably. I was a little bit afraid that, you know, he said, what would you do if you had the dial? I would tell him, go and tell him that he was going to die. And he was very emotional. And I really did think he was going to like force Ghost back into the movie or something or just like have a nod where through the time rift, you like see him and he smiles or whatever. And they use like footage from the last movie or something. So Mutt is Harrison Ford's son. Shia LaBeouf was his son. Yep. And the son of Karen Allen's Marion? Correct. Who returned okay. in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which is important because we have seen her since Raiders. And given, you know, how long it's been, over 40 years, I'm not sure without her entirely, when she walked into the room, every would have been like, oh, it's her. I mean, she's distinctive looking and everything and lovely, but I'm not sure that that gap would have been enough. For example, we saw Sala again in, in The Last Crusade. Sala was painful when he rescues Indy on the street. He's still got a punch in him. He does, but he's got a limp in him, too. 
look, Harrison Ford wasn't exactly as spry, but that was Harrison Ford after much training and 40 mile bike rides to get back into shape. And he had like a little bit of a six pack for an 80 year old dude. You got to give him props. Oh, absolutely. Full on shirtless in his boxers, all yoked. And he did his darndest, but there was some <laughs> some limitations. There was definitely some lumbering on his part, but Sala was full on like broken hobbling. And I don't, I'm not blaming him. I'm just saying like they just don't make him run. <laughs> I mean, come on. He It's not the years, it's the mileage. And, and John Reese davies has mileage on him. He played Gimli three times. And Sala. This is it's otherwise his longest character. I'm going to argue that this one counts more because there was so much time in between. Whereas Lord of the Rings, they shot it back to back to back. Right, yeah. He got it all done at once. You love Sala. I don't think you can help it. And I don't think that we needed the Antonio Banderas character. For how little he was there, he spoke a few lines. He did die, and I don't think we should have had Sala die. But imagine if Sala was, he was like, I miss the sea. I miss the desert. And he could have been the boat captain. I know a friend who has a boat in that area. And it could have been Sala, who didn't have to run, who could just steer the boat and be like, give him hell, Indiana Jones. And it would have been awesome. <laughs> It would have been awesome, and it would have been a better reveal for his character. That being said, Antonio Banderas makes a fabulous pirate. Like, why haven't we seen more Antonio Banderas pirating? He was in a boat as a Viking in the 13th Warrior. Does that count? But here's the weird thing. Uh, Antonio Banderas is like the Ryan Seacrest of these action movies because he was just in the Indiana Jones ripoff uh, Uncharted. He was the bad guy in Uncharted. Oh, yeah. He's like sneaking up into these kinds of movies. Our discussion available now at orwhatevermovies.com. Wait, what? Ryan Seacrest? Yeah, because he like sneaks in when everybody else leaves. He's like, oh, Dick Clark had a stroke. I'll do Rockin' New Year's Eve. And now Pat Sajak is retired and Ryan Seacrest is officially taking over Wheel of Fortune. Yeah, how do you feel about that? Whatever. I mean, I can. Well, you know how I feel about it? Here's what I want to say on record is that Vanna White absolutely deserves a race. You know, she's holding out for half of Pat Sajak's previous salary. That's it. Supposedly hasn't had a bump in 18 years. Come on, what? man. Give Vanna White her half. Half is not that much for devoting your life to a game show. She's an institution and she deserves it. Come on. Anyway, Antonio Banderas came and went. He was a pirate. And he was so scruffy, it was hard to notice unless you really pay attention. Like, oh, yeah, that was Antonio Banderas. Because he was there and then he was dead. He's great. He's swarthy. He's charming. He's sweet. Definitely didn't deserve to die. Uh, it was a little bit of an unceremonious end, right? I think it, it could have been played. Could have been played by Sala. He, he already had a history with the sea. He wouldn't shut up singing the HMS Pinafore, which he sang again in this movie. And he knew Katanga in Raiders. He had, like, pirate associations. Solid. <laughs> yeah, he could I totally mean, could have been. Egypt is, you know, Alexandria's on the coast. And as long as you have to leave your favorite city, Cairo, city of the living, a paradise on earth, you can go to the sea. Well, that would have shaved a good what ten minutes off oh, of the film. Oh man. A mere 10 minutes where we, you know, we wouldn't have had to have the introduction of Sala on the street. and But then we still need to find another 20 minutes to take out of this movie at least. Yeah, I was going to say 20 to 30, I think, to bring us to an appropriate length. Does it make for a better theatrical experience for it to be long? Probably not, because trailers are already 40 minutes in and of themselves. Yeah, it's true. By the time we got out of, out of the theater, it was three hours after the runtime of our scheduled start. Yeah, that's a commitment. So 
here's what's odd. If it was entirely too long, and if it really only set up Helena's dad's character and the Antikythera, and I guess the Mads Mikkelsen character, did we need all that introduction? Because when aliens, James Cameron's aliens, went way over the runtime, Gail Ann Hurd came to James Cameron. He was like, I don't know what to cut. And she's like, well, hold on to your butts. What if we cut the first act? And that was Newt with her parents riding along on LV-426. And we see her dad get face huggered and she's screaming. And that's how the colony got taken over by the aliens. And then she ended up in the duct. But when we find her in the theatrical cut, she's just a girl. And this girl managed to survive longer than anybody else, Hicks or whoever she was yelling at at the time. Do you think that we could have just been like the Antikythera and we hear the story of her dad and if we had skipped that train and him like impersonating the driver of the car and all that stuff, it was good, but did we need it? We probably didn't. We hear about Mutt's character's death just like we hear of Henry Jones Sr.'s death and Brody's in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. If that's a spoiler, I'm sorry. You need to be on board before you're here. We're going to do spoilers because it's too important. It's in the description, folks. Yeah. But yeah, maybe the only thing I really got from the opening was all of the nostalgia of seeing this character resurrected. I mean, obviously, Harrison Ford's playing the same character, but to see him in his youthful glory, even if it was even if it was kind of uncanny valley-y, was very satisfying. I mean, just seeing him inhabit this character and being immersed in this world for another couple hours is very satisfying. I think it was, at least for Indiana Jones fans, if not purists, a necessary component. I actually got emotional. As much as they rehashed the elbow kissing scene and the it hurts here or hurts everywhere for me but doesn't hurt here, it was a callback to the first movie, but I kind of liked Marion showing up and I was like, Indy got his like, send-off or whatever. It worked for me and that's that feels odd to say. I maintain James Mangold is one of the best directors working today, a worthy successor to Steven Spielberg, especially given his track record with the last three Indiana Joneses. Um, you know, part of my childhood, but still could have been better. I'm sure there are people that are losing their minds that Indy went back in time and met Archimedes, which of course is silly, but it's an Indiana Jones movie. Is it so far off base? It wasn't a, a Back to the Future Marty McFly time machine or a Doc Brown time machine. I was afraid they were going to start jumping and that's how they were going to win fights. He was going to be like... Phew and jump around in portals and then like kick Zoller or Jurgen or whatever in the face. But it wasn't a time machine that you can just set the dial and go. Yeah, shouldn't they have used the de-aging for him to run into himself back in time? Like Maybe, but it didn't lean too heavily on time travel is my point. They had to go to great pains to find this rift and it took them back to a very specific place. It's not like Archimedes 2000 years ago used his technology to make a time machine with digital dials that'll take you anywhere. It took him back exactly where he was so that he can determine if it worked and then he said how far have you come from so it was time travel light for sure no one would say this is a time travel movie so did this move the franchise forward in that sense i mean this is new precedent right for actual magic for lack of a better word to happen no, the, the aliens, I guess maybe the aliens aren't magic, but they have advanced technology. In a way, that was as time traveling into the future for their advanced tech as it was for him going back in time through a natural mm -hmm. phenomenon of like a wormhole or a time rift or whatever. 
But as for the franchise, it seemed perfectly in keeping. Thematically, there were vague supernatural elements that didn't really commit to one theology or another. The the sidekick is definable. You have the same kid, you know, and starting in part two, you had Short Round and, and Willie Scott. And part three, you had Sean Connery and Denim Elliott and Sala. And four, you had Mutt and Marion came back. And this one, he's got his whole host of people who are more agile and more vivacious than he is. And, right. and I didn't even hate Mustache Kid to have a kid of that age. And I was like, I'm going to hate this kid. And then I didn't. He was fine. The crazy stretch, aside from the supernatural element, or maybe like whatever you call the time travel element, was that that kid could conceivably fly and land a plane. And they even <laughs> talked about how implausible that was. He's like, I did it. And they're like, yay. <laughs> There's nothing that kid can't do. It's like sure. reach and pull. You know, flying is just, you know, throttle and lift. That's all you need to know. Right. They were not adventurers. They were pickpockets and, and they had their own street knowledge going going on. But they didn't do anything dumb, which necessitated saving at every other moment, you know. I mean, he definitely got the ice cream at the inopportune time. Like, he got ice cream just to get kidnapped, right? That was kind of dumb. Yeah, but then it ended on ice cream. He got his ice cream, and Sala got his ice cream, and I don't know that that was a fitting end for Sala. If he had died on that boat in the as the Antonio Banderas character, it would have been heartbreaking because Indy stops down all the fun. He's like, my friend just died. And they're like, oh, sorry, we were celebrating our escape or whatever. But Sala could have died in the service of an Indiana Jones adventure. Instead, he got ice cream. I guess that's fine, but he was old. It might have been more fitting. I mean, it definitely would have been sad, but that's what he wanted. He wanted adventure and, like you said, the smell of the sea. And, you know, it it, it could have been very fitting. It would have have had more weight, right? As much as I liked Antonio Banderas as that character, he left as fast as he came. So it was like, mm. Yeah, and he didn't want to show up. They offered him a cameo in the wedding audience, in the crowd, for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And he said, Sala is worth more than that to an audience. It would be distracting and it would be a disservice to that character to have him appear briefly in the background. What exactly did Marion mean when she said, I heard you were back. Are you back? Yeah. Yeah. What did that, what did that mean? And what exactly did Helena do other than just kind of give her a ring? Yeah, I'm not sure. But that is the reason that she knocked him out and brought him back home, right? Because she knew that Marion was already ready in contact to meet up with him. And she's like, you got to go back. Is is that the case? I think that's the case. I was pretty sure they were going to show back up in 1969. You know, he'd wake up and Helena would have gone back in time and fixed some part of their relationship and kept Mutt from dying. And he would have had a family. That's what I was expecting. Yeah, but that would have been a lot of time travel. Yeah, but we wouldn't have had to have seen it. Yeah, I guess that's the case. He could have done like Avenger style where he's just like, whoop. And then we figure he did all that stuff. (laughs) Yes. And this is leading you back to my earlier point that there's what is there possibly to hate about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny? I don't know. What do you got? Didn't hate the kids. Didn't hate the ancillary characters. Exactly. Didn't hate the villain. Brought back the Nazis. It was fine. But what did you love? They went to great lengths and they were on location and a lot of heavy stunts, if not for Harrison Ford, for his body double. But it didn't feel as slick as I feared it would. I thought it was going to be a huge CG mess. And while there were some components, it felt pretty good. And the globe-trotting Indiana Jones is necessary to have practical scenery. He was just a very old Ethan Hunt running around, not even running around. He was like jogging around, but it was, I, I liked the feel. I loved being there. And Harrison Ford was adamant 
adamant about not being helped off his horse or climbing off in a certain way. He's like, I'm an old man trying to get off a horse. Let me be an old man, damn it. And like, uh, he didn't even have a gun. He didn't pull out his revolver. He didn't swing from the whip. A couple of choice whip moments and kind of that was it. And he was an old dude who, who did his best. He definitely throws a punch better than Clint Eastwood did in Cry Macho. And if that's a spoiler, I don't care. But he could, he was as capable and able-bodied as Indiana Jones in his mid-40s, I dare say. It was fun to see him on a horse. It was fun to see him on a train. It was fun to see him... Uh, underwater, fun to see him in a plane. It was just fun. I don't know, man. You're like, I was happy on my birthday weekend, 4th of July, seeing Indiana Jones on the big screen for the final time. And I, I just can't, I can't hate it. I can't tear it apart. And it's not to say I didn't hate it and that's my review. Because I liked, as I liked more elements of this than I did of the last movie. And maybe that's me being a little forgiving sue me in my old age. But I, I was happy enough that for an 80-year-old Harrison Ford, who, by the way, was playing 10 years, is 10 years older than the character he was playing. I thought that it was fitting that he's satisfied with the work, that it was what he wanted to give to audiences, that it was a fitting send off because he didn't feel great about leaving the character with the last movie. And I'm glad he got a chance. I don't know if box office success translates for him anymore. I don't know if he cares, but I'm not angry at what they gave me. And, and maybe it's, it's also the burden of expectation. Maybe it's the good side of not expecting the movie for the ages, kind of like I was for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. This is not like the most eminently merchandisable franchise, although it certainly has its attractions, other attractions. I wonder if part of the problem is that they spent more time in homage and paying tribute than they did perhaps moving the story forward, which I know is one of your key metrics for a movie follow-up. I also wonder if it got a little confused in who was running the show between Helena and Indiana Jones. You know, so she, she so clearly wants to be, and in many ways he allows her to, but then he kind of takes over at the end, and I think it got a little confused. I'm also wondering if maybe we're just tired of the bad Nazi and the super Nazi trope. Like, is it possible that that just doesn't ring true or resonate now? Indiana Jones fights Nazis. And by now, you mean 50 years ago? And by, exactly. It was, this was a period within a period. But it, it was true. The Mads Mikkelsen character was a version of Werner von Braun, who was a Nazi scientist. And at the end of the war, Nazis were building the V-2 rockets and Americans pulled them in and pulled some of that knowledge, which was kind of going to waste, uh, to make rockets for NASA. And so there were ex-Nazis uh, working for NASA. And this being on the eve, literally, of the moon launch, there was precedent, historical precedent for his character. Was he a Nazi? Not really. But he was going to go back in time and kill Hitler and assume power? That's some dastardly stuff, man. He was like, a, he was going to be an <laughs> arch villain. And I'm about it because he didn't actually do it. And he wasn't like cosplaying Nazi, like in his, in his hotel room or whatever. It was fine. <laughs> I mean, a little bit at the end. I don't It wasn't Boyd Holbrook's best look, donning not, the Nazi. That one, not at all. He was basically muscle, right? Ineffectual muscle. He was like the, the lead henchman who couldn't get anything done. Well, he certainly wasn't the brains of the operation, <laughs> as fun as his character was. And how could he be muscles when you've got super Nazi Hoke or Hawk lumbering around? Like that guy. Yeah, the Dave Bautista of this movie. Okay, so I think you said some things that you loved. I mean, you kind of sounded like an AI-generated review of great action, <laughs> good pacing, 
solid performances without really saying anything at all. Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones for the place he is in his life was absolutely top-notch. Steven Spielberg was right to take a step back. The plot was a little bit contrived and, and frankly a little bit convoluted at times and, and I lost the thread just because it was too long. I think most of these movies too, are, are too long initially and they pare them down and make them tight. So maybe there was a better movie in the edit. But I have admiration for everyone involved, particularly Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who carried a lot of this movie as the intrepid adventurer, albeit not like Indiana Jones himself. She did a great job. She was like a young, undamaged Ellen Ripley. Like a little bit gangly, but very much a heroine and fun and a little bit dark at times. Like I was thoroughly prepared to hate her, but she was not shrill. I'm not sure that she screamed a single time. And for being Hollywood's kind of go-to it girl, not only in front of the camera, but behind as a producer and as a writer, uh, multi-award winning, I thought that she fit in pretty nicely because you need someone to help him help him along on his, with his unsteady footing because he's 80 years old. One of my favorite scenes between the two of them was when they were in the midst of the tuk-tuk chase, which had zero stakes, which was my problem with a lot of the film. <laughs> but when they're yelling at each other and he's talking about what he expected her to turn out like. And she's like, what? You didn't expect me to be, you know, intrepid and beautiful and daring and smart and intelligent and all of these wonderful things. It was such a charming moment for both of them and such a great callback for how the original films in the franchise can seamlessly bounce back and forth between humor and action. And the charm is just kind of the prevailing tone throughout. One thing I can definitely say with confidence about James Mangold's Indiana Jones is that he nailed the tone. And even if the plot gets kind of murky and I had no idea what was happening with the CIA (laughs) and the whole Archimedes thing was kind of bizarre, he kind of nailed it. Team Wombat. Why did Archimedes booby trap his tomb if he wanted Indiana Jones to find the, the Antikythera? Because only the worthy can achieve such a prize. Only the penitent man may pass. Something you know, like and, and the ease at which Indiana Jones, like, retrieves these ancient artifacts that, you know, people spend their lifetimes trying to find and he just gets them, somehow is just, like, okay with me. Like, it doesn't, it didn't, it bothered me so much in, in Uncharted how easily they obtained the things that people had been trying to get for centuries. But for some reason, it just doesn't bother me in Indiana Jones. Number one, he's Indiana Jones and he's been doing this his whole life. Number two, he almost died from the underwater snakes. The eels, you mean? Yeah, they look like snakes. That was obviously what they were playing on, and he almost died. (laughs) They look like snakes. No, they don't. Oh, my favorite Indiana Jones curmudgeonly delivered line was, um, that belongs in a museum. (laughs) Yeah. They had to get that in. Decades ago, the bad guy was like, so do you. (laughs) Does the Indiana Jones franchise belong in a museum? Um, no. I mean, I don't, I don't it, really know. Is it know. time to put it to rest? I don't really care. Is it a living, breathing thing? Sure. Would I go see a Chris Pratt, Indiana Jones movie? Sure. I love these movies. And then Steve, Stephen King said, you know, how do you feel when they change or ruin your books? He's like, I didn't, they don't change. They didn't ruin my books. My books are right up there on the shelf. We have our Indiana Jones catalog for better or worse. We'll always be able to revisit them. Is there, you know, am I a purist where I have 
have to only watch the Sean Connery, James Bond movies? Absolutely not. If there's an Indiana Jones later on, I'll watch it. Sure, and hope they don't muck it up. Uh, Harrison Ford might not be happy about it, but does Arnold need to play the Terminator forever? No, they can make a Terminator movie without Arnold Schwarzenegger. Come on, just make it good. And did they? For this one, they made it good. It wasn't a classic, but I was happy. And I thoroughly enjoyed being in the movie theater to watch this. Does that translate to all right? Yeah. You know how you're like, don't muck it up. And they're like, we're not. We're going to do our best. And you're like, all right. It's not like, all right, you know. (laughs) It's like, Uh... oh, you better not. All right. And you're like kind of relieved. It's kind of a relieved All right, because I can't defend all the stuff. That thing about how they dive and like burst to the surface without getting the bends, kind of unrealistic, but we could pick apart all that stuff. And I don't want to do it. It's just, it's it's all right. And I'm happy. Thank you for one more Indiana Jones adventure. Yeah, they didn't go down that far. And you know, if you don't actually breathe compressed air, you're fine. Really? Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny does call for a new category, a new ratings category, I think. And that is good enough. Enough. Good enough. I don't know that it's a good, but it's a good enough. <laughs> and like I said, I am. I enjoyed being immersed in this world for another couple hours. I enjoyed eating popcorn at this popcorn movie and seeing it in IMAX. Unfortunately, I don't think I would revisit it. Man. I don't know how much of that has to do with the runtime or whatever. In the theaters, you mean? I mean, really? You're you're gonna sit down and fire up your your digital copy and watch this again? A hundred percent. Um, really? If for nothing else, just to be happy that we have another John Williams movie. Aww. 100%. In 4K on my screen with no effort whatsoever, Disney Plus, bring it. All right. And there you have it. A relieved all right and a good enough from Iris. That's our discussion on Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, available in theaters or whatever movies at gmail.com, 818-835-0473. And thanks for listening. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.